Good morning to you all, and Merry Christmas. Oh, two people said Merry Christmas back, that's good. Oh, I'm glad you're here this morning, and uh, I, I never take it as uh, for granted that you're going to show up, uh, and uh, my hope and my prayer is the same reason I show up for you is that you want to grow deeper in the Lord, and you want to fellowship with the other saints and other people. And uh, it, it, even if, let's say, the message doesn't touch you because you got that down pat, whatever it is, uh, just being together with each other, it makes you go home and feel good about yourself. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, even as Pastor Rod was leaving, I could hear him coughing, and I just want to lift him before you. He's had this... Uh, this cough that just to, was diagnosed bronchitis again last week for, I think, close to two months. And I just pray, God, that you would heal up his body. Uh, thank you, God, that we can come before you with our hurts, our pains, our illnesses, and that you are a God who cares desperately for us. Your plan in this world was not sin or death or destruction or evil. Your plan was the Garden of Eden, a beautiful, peaceful place where we could walk with you in the evening. And because of uh, sin entering in with our great, 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 great ancestors, uh, the whole world began to spin a out-of-control spin that I know, God, eventually you are going to step in. And as we studied last Sunday, you're holding back your wrath right now so that every tribe and nation could believe your name. And as we move now into the Christmas season, as we think about uh, the birth of Jesus, that, that beginning, well, it wasn't even the beginning, that plan was right at the very beginning, but his birth, Jesus' birth, began a, a tidal wave or a drop with ripples that is spreading throughout the whole world, right, right even in Cuba, Mexico City, Africa, wherever it may be. Uh, God, would you continue to uh, use us, transform us, change us, in Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. So uh, about two weeks ago, uh, I was getting up, uh, Tuesday mornings I get up at 5 a.m., doesn't matter the time. Uh, I try not to wake up my wife, so I was being really quiet, had the lights off, and I'm brushing my teeth in the dark, and uh, uh, as I was, I, I don't know what I did, but I just moved my hand towards the counter and a glass that I have there, a glass glass, I should probably get a plastic one, that'd be smart, a glass glass, I swept it off the counter and it hit the floor and smashed into lots of pieces. It hit my glass scale and uh, really broke and so I kind of quickly moved back, turned the light on, was still in bare feet and uh, I, I actually went downstairs, just got a broom, put it in a pile, had to go and I was hoping my wife would see it, not walk in there with bare feet. Can you imagine that? Anyway, way too much. Of you empathy people are just cringing right now. So anyway, about a week later, I noticed that when I, when I had shoes and socks on, I never felt this. But whenever I get home in the evening, uh, I'm a guy who I don't like shoes and socks. And so I usually take those off really quick. And uh, when I would walk on my left foot, I'd be like, oh, there's something irritating that foot. It, it's just not feeling good. And it got worse the next day and worse the day after that. And finally, I thought to myself, I bet you there's a little piece of glass in there. That's probably just this little thorn. It's getting more irritated, doing its damage, cutting away. So I asked my wife uh, 
if she could take a look at it. So I laid down and uh, put my foot on her knee, and uh, she got the tweezers. I won't get into too much detail. Uh, let's say, if, if you grew up in the 70s, there was a commercial on TV with this big brawny line, and he had a thorn in his flesh, and this little mouse came and took the thorn out. I was the roaring lion, and my wife was the little mouse. You know, do you want me to stop? I can stop. And I'm like, no, take it out. Oh, it hurts. Oh, it hurts. So I'm a little bit of a wimp. And uh, my excuse is feet have lots of nerves, right, doctors? So I'm okay now anyway. So eventually she's digging around for a while, and she goes, I don't know. I can't see it. I don't know what's going on. Do you want me to keep trying? And I'm like, you know, you can stop now. And then she looks on her shirt, and she just catches a glimpse of just a little teeny little speck of a piece of glass. She goes, oh, I, I think it came out. And in fact, she couldn't even grab Like, it disappeared in our bedroom. So I'm probably getting my back all cut up with it, but no, I'm just kidding. Anyway, um, I, I wasn't even sure if that was it for sure, but in a day or two, I noticed I could walk on bare feet. I feel fine. You ask, why do you tell me that story? Well, in the scripture, <laughs> when you look at a story in John chapter 13, good chapter, lots of awesome things, uh, you will come across a story where Jesus, and you don't have to go there, you will come across a st story where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. You've probably heard it preached and you probably, like me, would say, what's the story about? It's about serving. Jesus even said, I came not to be served, but to serve. So I've preached that. The church is about serving. The individual Christian walk is about serving. And so I've preached that over and over. But just recently, I had pointed out to me that there is a second part to that passage. And if you look at the passage and read it, and you're welcome to do that now or when you get home, you will notice that as Peter, is, I think it was Peter, was having his feet washed, um, he says to Jesus, maybe you should wash my hands and my face too. And Jesus responds and says to him something that you need to hear and you need to understand. He said, basically this Anthony's paraphrase, your whole body has been bathed and clean. In fact, everybody here except for one, referring to Judas, has been made clean. All you need washed is your feet. And if you didn't know, what Jesus was trying to say is that through my ministry, through my work, through my preaching, you have been cleansed and purified. But you're walking in the world, your feet get dirty. And what is that dirtiness? It can be just people being mean to you. It can be when you're hurt. It can mean when you actually do some sin yourself. And what happens is we get that little thorn, that little piece of glass, in our feet. We, we have been washed, we've been cleansed, but we get that little piece of glass. And I want to tell you this morning that Jesus wants to take it out. He wants you to move more and more into being completely washed. He wants you to move more and more into who he was and the example that he gave, where he came not to be served, but to serve, where he came in humility. So when I think about Christmas and I think about this whole season of, uh, especially today's topic, that he was humble, that Jesus, the Savior, that came born not of a noble king's birth, but in a manger. And you need to understand all the intentionality of the Christmas story. That Jesus was incredibly a nothing by human standards. In fact, if you read Isaiah 53, here's the words that it describes. This is the prophet Isaiah prophesying that in a thousand years, 
a Messiah is going to come. Listen, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Now, if you start to study the scriptures, you understand that this is God himself becoming a man. And he lived and suffered in this broken world just like you and I. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely, surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. You start getting a glimpse into what God is trying to do through Jesus, how God is redeeming the world, taking your pain, your hurt, taking the thorns, washing you from head to toe, taking the thorns, the sins, the dirt of the world off you, and he is making you more and more like he has created you to be. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But, oh, I love it when scripture has those buts, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, by his wounds we are healed. We all, listen to this, we, so it's, it, it's really shown who Jesus is. And now it's describing us a little bit. We, that's who Jesus is, that's what he came to do. He came in humility, he came to suffer. Even though he was equal to God, he didn't consider it. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Do you see the contrast going on? He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. So on one hand you have man. Right from the Garden of Eden. I mean, the Garden of Eden, as they prayed, was a beautiful place. They used to walk with God in the evening. They, they had it all. I mean, they were so pure and clean, they could walk around with no clothes on. And they never had any problems with the way they thought about and looked at each other. I mean, heaven was a beautiful place. The Garden of Eden was a beautiful place. And Adam and Eve, they had one thing they shouldn't do. And that was eat from a certain tree. Because when they ate from that certain tree, it would suddenly open up their minds to all sorts of things that would move them in directions of evil and sin. And whether it was a symbolic tree of good and evil, we don't know. We just know that at that point, Adam and Eve said, we won't listen to God. We're going to do our own thing and be our own gods. So we have gone astray. And Jesus is literally putting it back in the box. He's fixing the broken things in this world. He's being humble. Even though he's being led to a slaughter, he doesn't even open his mouth. This just gets so exciting. Jesus is about love and reconciliation. He's about changing our hearts and changing our lives. He's about taking that little piece of glass out of our feet in fact, and I want to declare this to you, and I want you to really listen. In fact, if you're not still changing as a follower of Jesus Christ, then listen carefully. Then listen carefully to the following teachings. We need to desperately hear this. 
this guy too needs to hear this. So turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2 so we can start to unpack who Jesus was and what he came to do and, and, and what our response should be and, and how we should behave because of it. Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Therefore, now he just listed a whole bunch of stuff in chapter 1, and we're going to come across four ifs kind of a conditional word. Four ifs are going to, and I want you to pay attention to the four ifs. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, well, how about you? If any comfort from his love, have you had that? If any common sharing in the Spirit, I mean, from the inside out, in your soul, in your inner being, is God at work? Do you feel it? Has he cleansed you? Has he purified you? If any tenderness and compassion, if you have any tenderness and compassion, do you feel it? Now, the four ifs beg a question. And I hope you can hear the question. That if you have any of those things, then he's going to go on further and describe it. Being united with Jesus, experiencing his love, walking with God, the Holy Spirit in you, and deep inside tenderness, then, here comes the answer to the question, then make my joy complete, verse 2, by being like-minded. You need to understand what God's trying to say, what Paul writing this passage of the Philippians is trying to say is that when you prayed to receive Jesus, something began to stir in the inner parts of your being. You began to experience his spirit. You began to experience his love. You began to experience that reconciliation to the Father, that, Father, that sense of unity in you. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love and that love that Jesus who went like a lamb before the shears, who, who, who went willingly to death on a cross. Being one in spirit and one in mind. Now, I've told you before that I have always, well, when I especially got out of college, I, I probably leaned really hard into the idea that, that you know, I, I probably even made grace cheap almost. Because I understood I was redeemed, I was saved, my whole body was bathed, but I didn't get this point that my feet get dirty a bit. I didn't get this point that I've been invited into this transformation that Jesus wants to do in your life. And slowly, and I always tell people what got my theology in trouble is I kept reading my Bible. I kept reading these things where, you know, it's like, well, if God is at work in you, if you feel his Holy Spirit, if his love, or, or you, you feel that comfort and compassion, then start moving in who you are in Christ. Start being transformed. Stop being like the world. Stop being like Adam and Eve. Start being changed. This week I was going through the drive through and I won't tell you what restaurant, but there, I think there's only a couple sets of restaurants so you can kind of narrow it down. But it had, you know, a single line that went into two lines. So they had two uh, little speaker things that you could talk to. And uh, there was two vehicles at each of the speakers. So I went in the right lane. 
And almost simultaneously, the two vehicles started to move forward, and they had to kind of decide who should go first. I love those awkward moments. You know, it's your turn, it's your turn. You know, in Canadian, sometimes you get somebody who's aggressive, and yeah, I don't like those people either. So I stop at the speaker, and I wait. And now, in my mind, I waited hours, but it was probably 15 or 20 seconds. I looked in the mirror to make sure I actually could see myself. I thought, have I become invisible? And then I looked at, I remember looking at the whole display going, do they have a sensor, a camera? How do they know I'm here? And so I toot my horn a little bit. <laughs> Didn't help. Car drives up in the left lane, pulls up the speaker. I could hear, hello, sir. I'd like this one. Well, it'll come right away. They'll come to me. Nope, another car drives up in the left lane. Four cars go through. How would you feel? Do you think my flesh was getting me? Ooh, yes. Finally, the girl comes on and she goes, sir, may I help you? And I, I was trying to be, because already at this point, the Holy Spirit's saying these words, and I kid you not, be nice, be nice, be nice. And I'm going, but I had my right. I was here first. And I couldn't help it, but I said, well, it's really nice that I'm finally getting served. Four cars have gone through the left lane while I've been waiting here. And I tried to say it as nice and sweet as I could. And I could just feel the Holy Spirit in me going, be nice, be nice. It's not going so well, Anthony. So I'm going, well, okay, maybe, Lord, when I get up to the person, I can say something. And God says, nope, keep your mouth shut. Consider others more important than yourself. You already said too much. So I get up to the first guy that you take the money at, and uh, I'm smiling like a Cheshire cat, fake smile. And I'm sure they thought I was weird. Second thing, I, I, it was a guy, so it was a girl I originally talked to. Ooh, at least they don't know who I am. I get to the second one, and there's lots of people there. And a guy comes up to help me, and I'm going, oh, good, hopefully nobody knows I'm the pastor of the Alliance Church. And uh, now after service, somebody's going to come, well, I was there, and you really offended me. And that could happen. But I was nice, smiled, told him, thank you, have a nice day. Do you believe God still wants to work on you? Don't get me wrong, God never overwhelms you. But it usually becomes really obvious when you've got a character flaw, a character trait. And I've just told the staff recently in one of the uh, teaching sessions I do with them once a week, I said that almost every time you've got a flaw, there's usually a positive side to it. Like, like somebody who um, gets things done, takes charge, they can be bossy and ignorant, <laughs> or they can be kind and humble and take charge. We keep going on in this verse, and we're going to see it unfold in verse 3, and we're going we're to start to see how humility is our DNA. It's who Christ in us, that if stuff flowing on the inside of you. Uh, the humility is our DNA. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I have my rights. I was here first. Who do they think they are? Do they know who I am? Rather, here it comes, in humility value others above yourselves. Oof. Not looking to your own interests, 
but each of you to the interests of the others. Why does it keep happening to me when the text comes up? I should be able to predict the events that my flesh gets struggled with that week as I'm preaching through a text. Not looking to your own interests, but to each, each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, so he had all the authority, all the power, he had all the rights, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Oh, I just want to say something about a leader south of us, but I won't. All the Americans got the joke. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. How far did Jesus take this humility? Right to the cross, right to death. And he considered us more important than himself. Isaiah 53 described that, that he took the punishment that we deserved. He took the sin that, that we have been committing and he, it was laid upon him. He became obedient to death, even to death on a cross. So yesterday I was having coffee with my wife and I asked her the question, I said, and it, I knew it was kind of a rhetorical question, I knew her response would be what it was, I said, and no, I didn't ask her, she thought I was humble, that wasn't the question. I said, which kind of person would you rather deal with? Somebody who's humble or somebody who's selfish, aggressive, take charge? And she just kind of went, Pfft. well, you know what the answer to that is. And I said, yeah, I'd rather deal with a humble person too. And then I followed it up with a second question. I said, does humility mean being a doormat? And she went, Pfft. she said, well, was Jesus a doormat? And automatically in my mind when she said it, I thought of Jesus overturning the tables in the temple. I thought him dealing with the religious jerks. You know, oh, he was so good with his words with them. But you will take notice of something. Whenever Jesus dealt with anybody, it was always with humility, kindness. Oh, he might be pithy. He might have some pretty cutting remarks about whitewashed tombs and rotting flesh on the inside, looking nice on the outside. But I mean, most of what he said was just like to try to help them to see who they are. See, when, when, when the devil or, or mean people condemn you, it's like, you are awful. You'll never become anything. You are a loser. Why don't you just kill yourself? That is never the way of Jesus. Jesus always invites. If he says to you, you've got a little piece of glass in your foot. Uh, come here, I want to help take it out. Jesus never says, are you ever a stupid idiot? Why do you have that piece of glass on your foot? Didn't you know you shouldn't walk on glass with bare feet? That's not the way my Jesus is. I mean, he's so humble, he even took it to a cross. And that's who Jesus is, and that's who we are to be. The DNA inside of us is humility. Jesus was very loving and kind. Now, I couldn't help, and there's probably, when I ask you the question, think of the most humble person you've met. Think of the most humble person you know of, and think about the nationality that's the most humble. Think about it. I, I always find Filipinos really humble. 
and I'm always surprised if I meet one that isn't. Uh, all the people I've ever met with from India seem to be humble. And maybe, you know, there's almost 800 million of them. I'm sure they've got some people that are just like us. When you think of people who aren't humble, who do you think of? What countries? And I'm not even going to stay them out. But I'll tell you, Canadians are one of them. Oh, we're much better because we compare ourselves to others, right? Oh, we're better than that or them. You know, we're way better than that. But no, we're not terribly humble. I mean, we usually think that we need to take charge. We need to get what we have. We have our rights, and we're going to sue, and we're going to take care of it. And in fact, my wife just went through a little bit of a medication mix-up, and somebody I told the person said, you should sue that pharmacy. It never even came into our minds. Well, it's in our heads now. But we both said no. They made a mistake. They made a mistake. I consider others more important than myself. Character development sometimes happens instantly for Christians, but most often it's a process that we are invited into. Most often it's a process we are invited into. Oh, this is such a weird theological thing because truthfully so, we have been washed head, foot, and toe. Everywhere we're washed. But we have this little bit of dirt and pieces of glass and sin and stuff that's kind of embedded itself in our lives. It's, it's causing us not to be able to walk completely straight and tall as a Christian. But God says to you, hey, hey, you, you've got that dirt, you've got that speck, you've got that sin. Uh, come here, I want to I make it better. I, wanna, I, I died on the cross. I took the punishment of your sins. He invites you to participate. So literally, just put yourself at the cross. And let God do some work in your life. My wife went to a psychiatrist in Saskatoon, and uh, it was about, we got to know him as a friend. And I asked him once, I said, what's, what's the number one thing, as me as a pastor, that I could do when I'm counseling people? He goes, well, well, have you noticed that I always give, because I had gone with some other people from my church to see the guy. He said, have you always noticed that I always give people homework? I said, yeah, you gave my wife homework. I came with her once, you gave me homework. And he goes, honestly, and I said, what happens if they don't do their homework? And he says, I won't see them again. I said, really? He goes, well, why would I want to work with anybody that doesn't want to help themselves? He said, I can't fix them. You know, you really need to have some humility when it comes to the Father. You need to let the Holy Spirit work in you. And, and this is where it gets theologically interesting. So he points it out. Then he picks it out. Then he gives you the Holy Spirit power to change. And I mean, you can even theologically argue and say, actually, I had nothing to do with it. But God is calling you to participate in your sanctification. He's calling you to participate in your growth. And if you have not been growing as a Christian for a while, shame on you. Shame on me. God has called us to grow. So I'm going to end with, and this is a little bit of a long conclusion, but I'll try to get through it quick. I'm going to end with 10 steps to grow in godly character. This isn't my stuff. This is church renewal stuff. And... The full expanded version of this is online at gpac.life. It's in the sermon notes for today. But if you go to gpac.life, there'll be a tile. You can look at these. And it gives a much better explanation that I have time for this morning. Or you can go to the counter out 
in the atrium, the information desk to the right, there's a, I had printed off 50, I don't know how many got taken first service, but if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you about entering in, you've, you've got the thorn in the flesh, you know something's going on, you know there's, there's some kind of dirt on your body. Step number one, choose a godly character trait first. Choose a godly character trait. Now, you can go to 1 Corinthians 13, Galatians 5, uh, Ephesians 4. If you go through the list, you'll see all the passages. Read that, and you can just choose. So notice it, it's actually a godly character you're working on. It's really hard to get rid of the bad behavior. It's really easy to put on the right behavior. You know, when I talk to smokers, smoker, people smoke for a reason. It calms their nerves. I used to tell my mom uh, she would want to go outside for a cigarette at my house, and I said, oh, you're going out to have a chat with your friend Siggy. Because whether I had up, made her uptight, I don't know, but she'd come in so relaxed. People smoke for a reason, so when people quit smoking, I say, well, the reason that you smoked, I mean, some of it, you know, the nicotine, I can't really help you with that, but the reasons, the, the emotional reasons, the addiction reasons, you need to replace it with something positive. And so what we're doing here is we're saying, choose a godly character trait. Uh, first of all, when you're choosing the godly character, observe disturbing and ongoing patterns in your life. Listen to what your spouse or friends say. That can be tough. <laughs> My wife just recently said to me, give me a character that I need to work on. And I'm like, really? How big a list do you want? I said, no, I'm kidding. I didn't say that. You need to listen in prayer to see what the Holy Spirit brings to your mind. Step two, pray daily for that trait. Step three, continue renewing your mind by meditating on eternal things. Remember, you're trying to put the positive in and push the negative out. Step four, identify a time that you failed and listen for practical steps. So you wanted to grow in this area or this truth and you want some practical steps. You keep failing. I want to just give a little note on this. If the Lord reveals to you a deeper identity-based or lie-based reason, example, I'm such a loser, failure, and no one loves me, as a cause for these failures, then you need some more inner healing. And I can tell you, we could help you make an appointment with Rising Above. But even better, we have Set Free coming up at the end of January and Soul Care in April. These tools will really help you. And it might take you a lot of tools to kind of get some good healing and insight as to what's going on. Step five, confess any bitterness or offense. Step six, receive inner healing, deliverance, and freedom from destructive family patterns. Sometimes a character trait cannot be changed because you need inner healing. For others, a demonic stronghold may be preventing spiritual growth in a particular area. It is also a possibility that the negative character trait we are trying to replace is a behavioral bondage passed on through your family tree. And again, Set Free deals with it a little bit, soul care even further. And even within my church renewal stuff, there's even another step that I was able to get free from generational stuff. It was a really weird one. I'd love to share it with you if you want to know. Step seven, tell someone and ask for their prayers. What do you think James 5 is all about? Confess your sins one to another for the prayers of a righteous man does a lot. We need to talk to each other. Step eight, be filled with the Spirit. This is where the theology gets so cool. God points out the little dirt. He helps wash it off. He fills it. He cleans it. He purifies it. 
Step nine, learn and memorize scripture about your trait. You know, if let's say you're impatient and you want to be patient, well, memorize all the scriptures on patience. Or you're a proud, arrogant, driven person and you want to be humble, well, memorize Philippians 2. And go over it every day. Meditate on it. Think about it. Step 10. Keep in step with the Spirit. This is that hearing God stuff that 385 people went through. And we're doing another hearing God this coming January. Keep in step with the Spirit. Conclusion. We're at the end. God wants to sanctify you. God wants to sanctify you. This morning in my devotions, I was reading whatever the date is today, Luke 8, because I'm going through the Lukes up to Christmas Eve. It's the 8th of of December. And in Luke 8 is the story of the seed falling on the ground. And as soon as I read it, I knew what God wanted me to do. If you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, if you haven't been bathed from head to toe, you haven't been cleansed, It's really simple. All you have to say is, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And I believe in you, Jesus. Come and cleanse me. And maybe you need to come to the altar and somebody up here would explain to you a little bit more about that. But God wants to sanctify you. Lean into him. A number two and final thing. Write down an action plan. Uh, take one of those handouts at the info desk. Go into our gpac.life and go through this stuff and, and start talking this out. Can you imagine our marriages? Can you imagine our coworkers? Can you imagine our bosses? What they'll be wondering, what is going on with you? You got a Cheshire cat smile. What are you guilty of? And it's like, no, I'm just trying to obey what God's calling me to do. I'm supposed to be nice. I'm supposed to be humble. And I can tell you and understand this, that everything I've said this morning, God is not asking you to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. He wants to fill you, empower you. If you have experienced his presence, if you're born again, if you know his joy, if you know his spirit, then you are going to grow in this stuff. God wants you to participate. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, There's going to be some of us in our spirit, especially if we've got some spiritual strongholds. We're going to be putting up a fight with a message like this. We're going to probably call me out for legalism or something. We've just become so used to having dirty feet. We've become so used to living and walking in this world. And I just pray, Heavenly Father, that you would begin a beautiful new work in a lot of us. That we would have uh, this whole sense of unity within the church. Oh, the story Rod told, two denominations, and I can just see it, a, a Baptist and apostolic. I mean, theologically, they have so many differences. And yet, God, through this humble, and I, I know Blake Penson. He is a humble man. And God, uh, I am just so thrilled with with the humble people I've met over the years. And I I even think of the pastor in Prince George I met years ago when I was in my 30s. And he actually asked me my opinion on how churches should be. I was so honored. 
this guy was so humble and careful and kind. He invited me into dialogue. He invited me into conversation. And the truth was, I knew this pastor's story because I knew he was in Saskatoon and I know that things went really bad for him. But God, he proved to me that you are still at work in people. And, and he pastored that church in Prince George for 20 plus years because you never stop taking those thorns out. You never stop cleansing and washing. You invite us into the journey. You invite us into our minds being renewed. You invite us into behaving more like a follower of Christ and not a son of the devil. So God, work in us. And I know, Holy Spirit, you're revealing to some people, and, and I recognize, too, that the devil loves to get in sermons like this and condemn, convict, destroy. And God, may we put away those condemning voices. May we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And, and God, I know for you, you're a gentleman, and you'll just point out one thing. Uh, you'll just want us to grow in one godly character. Uh, so, God, would you please work on that with us? Let us take these 10 steps. Let's grow in maturity. Let's grow in who we are in Christ. For you, God, are an incredible God if we've experienced who you are. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.